It is a beautiful fall morning in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Daylight savings time. You can like it, you can hate it. If you're a Browns fan, you didn't like what you saw yesterday, and you may hate a lot of things about it, not just uh, during the game, but post-game. I'm Bruce Hooley. Uh, solo this morning, uh, unfortunately, the confluence of uh, Mr. Spielman's Oakland assignment yesterday with Fox and uh, modern air travel and landing in Cincinnati and driving back to Columbus precludes him being here for today's podcast, which was the plan, and he uh, expressed his regrets. But Chris will be back on Wednesday, and we'll delve deeper into Ohio State and Maryland. We'll have Ryan Day's comments from tomorrow's press conference at Ohio State. Uh, this will be a walkover for the Buckeyes. And by then, we will know where Ohio State debuts in the college football playoff rankings. The first official set of rankings from the 13-member committee comes out on Tuesday night. I would guess... And I wrote about this for uh, SI.com's Ohio State site, which you can find at SI.com backslash college backslash Ohio State, or by going to SI.com, clicking on the NCAA football banner at the top, then go to teams, then go to Ohio State. That you could make a case, I guess, for Ohio State being one, two, three, or four. One, because man, they've been the most impressive team in the country, winning every game by uh, 24 points or more. Uh, you can make the case for them being two because, okay, LSU is number one in one of the polls, and LSU has beaten Texas, and LSU has beaten Auburn, and LSU has beaten Florida, and those are you know, two or three better wins than Ohio State's win over Wisconsin, so I'm not going to be upset if Ohio State's two. Uh, you can make a case for them being three. They're three in the polls. Maybe the committee just you know rubber stamps it and says Ohio State's three, or they could be four because I guess, well, they are three in the AP poll. I guess they're four in the uh, coaches' poll. So, you know, you can make a case wherever. It doesn't matter. They're going to be top four without a doubt. If they're not top four, then we need 13 new members of the committee. And they're going to stay top four all the way through certainly the next few weeks uh, because Maryland is not a threat. Uh, Rutgers, <laughs> whoo, Rutgers, not a threat. Wow. Could Ohio State score 100 points? Yes, if they wanted to in that game on the road. And see, you can't take everybody on the road, so they're only, only going to have so many guys at Rutgers and they're not going to have a bunch of walk-ons with them at Rutgers. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, that one will be ugly. And then Penn State and Michigan, of course, to end the regular season. But Ohio State is in great shape. But we'll have some uh, conversation uh, later on. Well, I don't know. Can one person have a conversation with himself? I guess I can. Uh, about Urban Meyer and USC as USC has hired an athletic director. And, oh, it's a... Ohio guy. It's Mike Bone from Cincinnati. So there are dots to connect if you are so uh, disposed. Florida State job is open. Willie Taggart fired by Florida State. How can old Florida State afford 25 or 30 million bucks to make Willie Taggart go away? We'll talk about that a little later in the podcast as well. Dwayne Haskins debut in the NFL. Andy Dalton wants to be traded. But we start with the Browns, 24-19 to the Denver Broncos. Uh, this was where the schedule lightened up. And the Browns were going to put together this phenomenal second half of the season rally, uh, come back from 2-5, and five, make the playoffs, deliver on everybody's expectations, yada, 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 yada. Instead, uh, shockingly enough, the Browns in Game 8 are pretty much the Browns uh, through their first seven games. Uh, they did some things okay. They did some things spectacularly well, particularly getting the ball to Odell Beckham on two eye-opening catch and runs, but they didn't do enough things well consistently to win the game. Uh, they did not throw the ball to Odell Beckham when he was singled up on a fourth down play that ended the Browns' hopes of coming back. Uh, they did not make enough plays defensively. Uh, they uh, foolishly challenged a call that cost them a timeout, a timeout they needed later. Does all this sound familiar? Yes. Now, did he turn it over? No. They have a ton of penalties. No, just five. So uh, progress, but not enough progress for them to get a victory against the immortal Brandon Allen. Yes, the great Brandon Allen from Arkansas, a sixth-round pick uh, who no one will ever confuse, I don't think, unless Brandon Allen has a lot more greatness ahead of him than I anticipate. Uh, someone who will never be confused with the greatest sixth-round pick of all time in NFL history, Tom Brady. Uh, but Brandon Allen... Uh, threw two touchdown passes against the Browns, and uh, the Broncos, uh, not uh, Terrell Davis, uh, not any of the great uh, Bronco running backs when they were churning out 1,000-yard rushers each and every season. Uh, this time it was Philip Lindsay doing the damage 
with a 30-yard touchdown run to culminate a 95-yard touchdown drive after the Browns uh, went for it on fourth and one from their own five-yard line with Baker Mayfield sneaking it. It looked kind of sort of like Baker had the first down, but then the spot didn't give him the first down. And, of course, uh, if you follow NFL football at all, you know that uh, spot replays are seldom, if ever, overturned, particularly in the middle of the field, particularly in a big old scrum in the middle of the field, maybe on the sideline where there's a yard line right there. You might get the reversal, but not in the middle of the field. Nevertheless, Freddie Kitchens challenged it. Here is a despondent Baker Mayfield after the game talking about what transpired on that key play. When I looked over, the ball was crossed. Uh, you know, I think I'm sure the TV copy showed how they turned my body a little bit, uh, and I did have, you know, the ball was a little bit closer to, you know, the measurement than I think what it was portrayed. Um, so uh, it, it's a tough one. Um, I told Freddie to challenge it because I was, I was pretty sure that I got it. Uh, and, you know, it, he has full trust in me, and I, and I said I, I got it, um, but they, they didn't have enough evidence to overturn it. No, they did not, and that's a problem. Not that they didn't overturn it. A problem that Freddie Kitchens is taking orders from Baker Mayfield. Sometimes the coach has to say, look, I know you think you got it, but we don't win challenges like that. Nobody wins challenges like that. We're not going to challenge it. We'll need the timeout. We'll live to fight another day. Freddie Kitchens is uh, not decisive as a head coach. He does not learn from his prior mistakes. Uh, he does not inspire healthy degrees of fear uh, in his players, healthy degrees of respect, healthy degrees of discipline uh, because of situations like that where, oh, well, Baker told me to challenge, so I probably got to challenge it. Or he lets his emotions get in the way. Hey, we really need that first down. I think we got that first down some point, logic and sensibility has to come into it and go, you know what, we got hose there on that spot, but we're not going to win that challenge, and I'm going to need that timeout later, and so I'm not going to challenge it. How many times has he foolishly challenged? He's got guys on the TV broadcast of the game challenge, uh, questioning the wisdom of his challenges. Romo and Nance did it last week. Rich Gannon did it yesterday. Um, and another case in point. Okay, so we have now we have Shoegate with the Browns, where yesterday, and I, I was tweeting about this because I'm get-off-my-lawn guy early in the game, Jarvis Landry wearing these ridiculous gold shoes. He's got his glitter shoes from Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood on Saturday Night Live. And I just, look, I know it. You go, ah, Bruce, you don't get the modern athlete. No, I get the modern athlete. I don't like the modern athlete. I don't like the, hey, look at me, I'm wearing gold shoes. Yeah, I know, I'm one of 53 out here, but no, 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 you look at me. I have gold shoes on. Me, Jarvis Landry. I've said it before. I will say it again. I've been around Chris Spielman too long to believe you can win in a team game with guys who prefer, first and foremost, to call attention to themselves individually. You cannot win in a team game with me, guys. Can not be done. I said it about Odell Beckham. And now, first the, I, I've lost track. Was it first the watch and then the visor? Or was it first the visor and then the watch? I don't know. But I know yesterday, it was the shoes with Odell Beckham. It was white cleats with the Joker on them, which there were a lot of jokes on Twitter about, ah, oh, he's just wearing his head coach's likeness on his shoes. Yes, okay, very funny. Ha, ha, ha. Odell Beckham's explanation for the white shoes. Why is it an issue with the shoes? Because the NFL in the middle of the game, while they're trying to win a game, a must-win game, by the way, the NFL uniform police has to intervene and go to the Browns and say, hey, Landry and Beckham have to change their shoes at halftime. Okay, now does that take a ton out of you mentally and everything? But is it a distraction? Yes, of course it is. Of course it is. Because these knuckleheads can't, Wear the uniform that the rest of their teammates wear. It's ridiculous. Why, again, what do I say about the Browns all the time with Baker Mayfield? Spends way too much time on things that have nothing to do with winning. 
and here you force somebody in the team hierarchy to intervene in the middle of a game and go talk to players when he had should have no business talking to players during the middle of a game to go change your shoes. And Odell Beckham's explanation after the game was ridiculous. And I know everybody always said, oh, Odell's a great teammate. Oh, he came here from the Giants, and everybody said, oh, he's such a bad guy, and he's such a selfish guy. No, he plays hard. He, he talks to kids, and he does this and that. And, all. and great. I love that he talks to kids. I love that he signs autographs. I love that he gives his shoes away. But for Odell Beckham, after the game, to explain that he was wearing white shoes because, well, you know, this summer I got together with Nike, and I have a Nike contract, and... Nike, we, we look, we're playing in Denver, so we're going to be wearing white jerseys so I could wear white cleats because the white matches the white. And then Thursday, we switch. And he said, Thursday, we switch to brown jerseys. Oh, what a dilemma for Odell Beckham. It's Thursday, and I need different color cleats. Wow. If only I had a number for somebody at Nike, and I was important enough as Odell Beckham Jr., to have a person at Nike take my phone call and to say, hey, sorry about it, but the white cleats I was going to wear, now we're wearing brown jerseys. Would you, anywhere in Beaverton, Oregon, anywhere in a whole Nike hierarchy across the world, any dick Sporting Goods, any, any, any other place, I'd say Sports Authority, but they're out of business, any place, any retailer, anywhere, have a pair of brown cleats? Oh, wait. Did I ever wear brown and orange cleats at any point in this season? Might I have a pair of those cleats hanging around? Do you think anywhere in the Cleveland Browns facility, they might have a pair of brown and orange cleats that might fit me? No. According to Odell Beckham, no. And he apparently has never heard of Amazon, where I could call or click on Amazon right now and I could have like, Eight tubs of strawberries delivered to my front door in an hour. But when you're Odell Beckham, you can't get a pair of cleats in the right color delivered via Pony Express from Beaverton, Oregon to Denver, Colorado in three days. Stupid, stupid explanation. Stupid of reporters to stand there and let him get away with that nonsense. And stupid of the Browns to in pregame let him go out there with those on. Dumb. Stupid. Why? Oh, well, it's Odell. We can't talk to Odell. Because you have no discipline, and it's indicative of a bigger problem. Did they lose the game because of the shoes? No. They lose the game because of the attitude he has that makes him want to wear the shoes and Landry want to wear the shoes and call attention to themselves in a team game. And a coach who's afraid to tell him, and a franchise that's afraid to tell them, where are the adults? Where's John Dorsey in this? Oh, well, right now we don't have any time to get into the shoes, Bruce, because we have another major situation on our hands after the game. Because, of course, we do. We're the Cleveland Browns, and everything we spend our time on has nothing to do with what's going on on the field. Which brings us to Jerome Whitehead. Theoretically, a defensive back for the Cleveland Browns who apparently yesterday was playing with an injured hand. Okay, well, I applaud that, but you're being paid, and you know you weren't on the injury report for the hand. You weren't listed as doubtful. You weren't, you weren't listed as full go. So I assume you're good to go until Noah Fant catches a pass over the middle. And then in our uh, Flashes of Fun picture-perfect play of the day, this happens. DeLindsey, look out from the side. They were coming hard. That's Noah Faint breaking tackles in the secondary. There he goes. Foot race. Ward can't get him. He's in for the touchdown. 75 yards. Allen has thrown his second touchdown pass for the Denver Broncos. Yes, uh... I cut that tape before Rich Gannon could say what a terrible effort Jermaine Whitehead made to tackle Noah Fant because, A, I don't want Jerome uh, Jermaine Whitehead to threaten Rich Gannon's life, nor do I want him to threaten my life like he threatened our friend Dustin Fox's life after the game. Yes, Dustin Fox had the temerity. Dustin, who is a analyst on the, you ready for this, official Cleveland Browns radio network postgame show. Dustin Fox, employed by the team. Jermaine Whitehead, employed by the team. 
Dustin Fox bringing the truth after the game on Twitter saying, yeah, his Whitehead's tackling effort was embarrassing. To which Jermaine Whitehead came off the field in Denver in full uniform, grabbed his phone before disrobing, before showering, before uh, making availing himself of what they call in the NFL the 10-minute cooling-off period after the game, before they let the media in. Oh, no, 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 not Jermaine Whitehead. No, we don't need to cool off. He comes off the field, and the first thing on his mind is not the debilitating effect on their playoff chances of a loss to the Denver Broncos, not his own substandard tackling performance that allowed the Denver Broncos to win that game and Noah Fant to catch his first touchdown pass, rumbling, bumbling, and stumbling 75 yards down the field. None of that's first and foremost on Jermaine Whitehead's mind. What is first and foremost on Jermaine Whitehead's mind is, of course, on a team full of individuals, which is an oxymoron, because they're not a team if they're full of individuals, the first thing on Jermaine Whitehead's mind after the game is, I wonder what people on Twitter are saying about me. So he pulls out his Twitter machine, and he looks up his name, and he sees Dustin Fox and others correctly lampooning his effort. And so Jermaine Whitehead fires off a profane, threatening, racist, racist term-laced tweet at Justin Fox, in which he threatens Dustin Fox's life. He does. Now, you can say, well, I read it and I don't see that. No, no, no. The general consensus is the terms that Jermaine Whitehead used is it was a death threat toward Dustin Fox and others. Okay, so keep stay with me here, okay? Because you're thinking, ah, Jermaine is really upset and, uh, you know, not smart. I get it. Not smart, Bruce. But uh, I'm sure he cooled off and realized the error of his ways. Okay, so here's what happened in actuality. A team official becomes aware of Jermaine Whitehead's tweets. And he goes to Jermaine Whitehead. Hey, Jermaine, dude, you got to delete those tweets. And an argument ensues in the locker room after reporters are already in the locker room. And Jermaine is telling the team official, no, I will not delete them. I will not delete them. No, get out of my face. I will not delete them. Again, uh, Let's bow to the Browns' discipline here, right? As, as who's running the asylum here? Not the people in charge, but the guys in uniform. Uh, at least Jermaine Whitehead wore the right color shoes. I'll give him that. Okay, so now you would think, well, Jermaine Whitehead, maybe you'll get the message after you think about it. No, 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 he didn't get the message. So Twitter, Twitter, bless your heart, Jack Dorsey, comes to the rescue of Jermaine Whitehead and suspends his account, suspends his account because of the language used in his tweet. So now he can't do any more damage. Thank you, Twitter. Oh, but Jermaine Whitehead is going to go give a ton better effort on social media than he did to tackle Noah Fan. He is not to be denied on social media, folks. No, no, no. Now that Twitter has suspended his account, he goes to Instagram to threaten fans. (laughs) and others who are complaining about his lack of effort in the secondary for the Cleveland Browns. Um, Amazing. So they whisk him out of the locker room. They get him out of there. And uh, we still have not heard from Jermaine Whitehead. But we have heard from the Cleveland Browns who say that his tweets, oh, I'll tell you what, man, when the Browns bring the discipline, they really bring the discipline. Uh, Here is the uh, scathing. Uh, response from the Cleveland Browns about uh, Jermaine Whitehead's tweets. They say that uh, his social media posts following today's game were totally unacceptable and highly inappropriate. We immediately spoke with Jermaine upon learning of these comments. The Browns in no way condone that type of language or behavior. This matter will be further addressed internally. If it is not addressed by noon today, with the announced release of Jermaine Whitehead, then this franchise, and this is a bold statement I'm about to make, folks, then this franchise, which has for the 12th straight year now had a four-game or more losing streak, that franchise, the laughingstock of the NFL since 1999, if they do not release Jermaine Whitehead by noon today, then this franchise, the Three Stooges of the National Football League, is more lost than I think they are. 
More lost than I think they are. Because is Jermaine Whitehead the difference between 2-6 and six and 0-8? Oh and eight? I don't think so. Is he the difference between 2-6 and 10-6 and, uh, and six at the end of the year or 9-7 and seven or 8-8 eight and eight or whatever thing the Browns aspire to? No, he is not. Jermaine Whitehead is just a guy. You can find plenty of Jermaine Whiteheads because you know how I know that? Because the Browns got him when the Packers waved him. So their guys waved every week in the National Football League. Jermaine Whitehead's not making a difference between winning and losing. Oh, well, maybe yesterday he did. He might have made the difference between winning and losing because he couldn't tackle or didn't try. So if you think you can't live without Jermaine Whitehead, you're really stupid, which eh, I know they are. So he's got to go by noon today. But I don't have hope that he will go by noon today because when the Browns had a chance earlier in the season to display discipline with a guy who doesn't matter. Now, I get you can't cut Odell Beckham for wearing the wrong cleats. You can't cut Baker Mayfield for sniping at a reporter during the week, which was also stupid. More punching down from Baker Mayfield. Well, more to say about, about that in our email segment. But you cannot fail to demonstrate discipline, particularly to players who, hey, sorry about it. This is how the real world works. If you can be sacrificed for the greater good of the team, then on the chopping block, your head must go. They had an opportunity with Antonio Callaway earlier in the year. Remember last year in Hard Knocks, Antonio Callaway comes in. First of all, they drafted him when he was nothing but a knucklehead at Florida. He comes in, and they tell him, hey, don't screw up, Antonio Callaway. Okay, so he doesn't screw up. He just goes out and gets arrested in a traffic incident. Not a big deal, but what was the big deal was he didn't tell the Browns. He didn't tell the Browns. They found out from the media, and teams don't like finding out from the media. So they call Antonio Callaway into a meeting, Hugh Jackson and John Dorsey. And they say, last chance, Antonio Callaway. Don't screw up again. Oh, yes, sir. I won't. Trust me on that. I'm so grateful to the Cleveland Browns for giving me a chance. So Antonio Callaway comes back this year and starts the season with a four-game suspension for violating the NFL's drug policy. And the Browns! Not only keep him, they take a guy, Richard Higgins, who was at least as good as Antonio Callaway a year ago, and sit his derriere on the bench when Antonio Callaway comes back, and they keep forcing the ball to Antonio Callaway, who handed one of those balls to the, who was it? I forget, the losses all meld together in my mind. Handed one that should have been a touchdown catch to the other team, and they ran it back 50-some yards and then scored in that Played a big part in the Browns' loss earlier this year. And Antonio Callaway's still on the team. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Jermaine Whitehead's still on the team after today. Because uh, let's go back a few years before this. Isaiah Crowell put a picture on Facebook. Uh, a cartoon picture, but a very recognizable picture nonetheless. Of someone slashing the throat of a police officer. After the shootings of police in Dallas. Did the Browns cut Isaiah Crowell? No, of course not. Of course not. You say, well, that was pre-John Dorsey, Bruce. Yes, it was pre-John Dorsey. It was pre-Freddie Kitchens. It was probably even pre-Hugh Jackson. But it wasn't pre-Jimmy Haslam, owner of the Browns. And there's the common thread. It's the guy who, if I owned the Cleveland Browns, wouldn't you get to the point pretty soon where the behavior of the team off the field would embarrass you more than their behavior on the field? It would for me, but Haslam apparently has a very high ceiling on those things. So... Uh, the Browns lose the game. Um, I got so upset by the whole uh, Jermaine Whitehead thing that I forgot to tell you that the CBS play-by-play highlight of that Noah Fant touchdown is our Flashes of Fun picture-perfect play of the day. Nothing picture-perfect about the Browns except their dysfunction, but a lot picture-perfect about Flashes of Fun. They'll take your senior pictures and do it affordably. Guys, when your wife comes to you and tells you what senior pictures cost, you're going to go, What? It's a picture! Yeah, I know. But be a hero. Go with flashes of fun. Because they're easy to work with, super easy to work with. They'll do a great job. and They'll save you a ton of money. Uh, if you want to get inventive on an anniversary, a birthday, a special occasion, event in your life, Christmas card picture, things like that, family portrait, portrait with someone and the pet that they love, whatever they want. Flashes of Fun will work with you. Their picture's been viewed over 2 million times on Unsplashed, which is uh, an internet site where uh, photography uh, shots are placed and used in advertising around the world. So you know they're good, and they are very affordable, and you'll save $50 off 
when you book online at flashesofun.com. All right, what else is left over from that hot mess yesterday in Denver? Um, here's the thing. Brown's Twitter during a game. The one thing I will give up to Brown's fans is they do have a tremendous sense of humor. Uh, if you want, and I laugh at the Browns. I'm, I, I'm, I live and die with them. But if you can't laugh, you'll cry. And eventually, I run out of tears uh, with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, some really funny stuff uh, yesterday. One of the things that they did, of course, um, fourth down is always an adventure for the Browns. Um, they did not on the Baker Mayfield sneak. They did not have Nick Chubb in game on third down or fourth down. So it's short yardage on third down, and it's short yardage on fourth down. And Nick Chubb is a beast, and they didn't have him in the game. They had Dontrell Hilliard in the game, in the uh, backfield. And uh, after the game, uh, I just, thinking of this, said, you know, the good news for the Browns is that next week, next week, uh, they will have Kareem Hunt eligible, who I believe led the NFL in rushing one year. So they'll have Kareem Hunt eligible, and then he can keep Nick Chubb company over on the sidelines uh, while they're in short yardage, uh, letting Baker Mayfield sneak it or giving it to Dontrell Hilliard. And a big kudos to Browns fans. Nobody got mad about that tweet. It it got like over 700 likes and over 100 retweets because Browns fans share a suffering and a dark sense of humor uh, like no other fan base in the NFL. And you have to because when you look at this, we lost to the Denver Broncos when they traded Emmanuel Sanders, their best receiver. We have Odell Beckham and Jarvis Land. We have Baker Mayfield, the number one pick in the NFL draft at quarterback, a Heisman Trophy winner. They have Brandon Allen from Arkansas who's been released a bunch of he's been released by the Jacksonville Jaguars okay you've been released by the Jaguars at quarterback you're not highly thought of he's a sixth round pick he plays a better game than Baker Mayfield um <laughs> we have Nick Chubb they have Philip Lindsay eh, Philip Lindsay sorry but I'd rather have Nick Chubb and yet they win the game and we don't you look around the rest of the league. The Chiefs are winning with Matt Moore. The Saints didn't lose a game without Drew Brees. Um, the Carolina Panthers just keep chugging along, pursuing a playoff berth without Cam Newton. The Arizona Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals, with a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback, have won more games in a division that includes the unbeaten 49ers, the Super Bowl participant Rams, and the uh, perhaps MVP led by Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks. They're in that division, and they have more wins than we do. We are in the dreadful AFC North. Winless Bengals, Steelers with no Ben Roethlisberger, and uh, the Baltimore Ravens, who went to 6-2 and two last night with a win over the New England Patriots. And I'm astounded today that I'm reading, of course, he's a troll and a, not great at his job, in my opinion, Michael Silver, Hugh Jackson apologist of NFL.com, who writes that Lamar Jackson might be the NFL MVP. <laughs> what? Okay, I'm sticking to my guns. I know Lamar Jackson looked good last night against the Patriots. Two things. Do you think Bill Belichick is worried about a regular season game against the Baltimore Ravens when he knows he's probably going to get them back in Foxborough in the playoffs? If you think the Baltimore Ravens are going into New England and beating the New England Patriots with Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram running all over the New England Patriots in the playoffs, then there's a gas leak where you are. Get out now. The other thing is, this is the first time Lamar Jackson's really played. It's the first time the NFL's gotten a look at him. How many things in the NFL, first time you see him, they have like a little the shelf life's about a year. The Wildcat, right? Comes to mind. A lot of quarterbacks come to mind, including the one that plays for my team. Uh, Lamar Jackson will be figured out, figured out soon, and he cannot throw the football down the field. What are the adages in the NFL? You got to win from the pocket, you got to throw the ball down the field and stretch the field vertically. He can't do either one. He cannot do either one. So, hey, kudos to you. Enjoy it while you can, Lamar Jackson. The Baltimore Ravens will be looking for a new quarterback within three years. He's not the answer. Unless the question is, uh, what 
who's the latest quarterback to try to make it primarily as a runner in the NFL? Then he's the answer, and that will be Lamar Jackson. Okay. Uh, West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating sponsors the Spielman and Hooley podcast, and we appreciate that very much. West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating services all of central Ohio. Would you like a uh, lower heating bill? Of course you would. Lennox High Efficiency Furnace is the way to go. Geothermal heating, heat pumps, they've got all the different heating options for you. West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating, very honorable, very honest people. Love the story of West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating, started by a man in uh, 1975. One phone line in his home. Now, uh, a fleet of trucks servicing all of central Ohio, western Ohio. They do a phenomenal job. They show up on time because they value your time. You want to sit around all day waiting on a plumber? Ah, I was supposed to be there at 9, but yeah, I got held up. and It won't happen with West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating. If they do get held up, and sometimes jobs take longer than uh, you thought, they'll call you and let you know. Hey, probably be there at 11 instead of 9. So, Love West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating can handle new construction, plumbing, heating, repairs. Try to get a plumber to do a repair now. It's a federal case unless you deal with West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating. Look for them online, westjeffplumbingandheating.com. Give them a call, 614-879-9606. Get your fall furnace check, folks. They will give you up to hundreds off a new Lennox high-efficiency furnace product and cut you a deal on anything else. If you don't need a furnace, uh, just tell them you listen to the Spielman and Hooley podcast, and they will take care of you. For sure, 614-879-9606, West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating. All right, let's turn our attention here to Maryland. I want to fold the Maryland discussion into a little bit. What happened with Willie Taggart at Florida State yesterday? Willie Taggart fired at Florida State. Um, he's, uh, what is he, like two years in there? And people said, wow, I pulled the trigger on him. They owe him $17 bucks. How can they afford $17 bucks?" Andy Staples did a really good story on The Athletic. And I know The Athletic's behind a paywall. So I read the story and tweeted some of the essential breakdown of why. Florida State's attendance has dropped off the face of the earth. Doak Campbell Stadium seats, you know, 75, 80,000 people. They're putting about 50,000 people in there. You multiply the amount of available tickets not sold by the average price of a ticket, and they've got, you know, they've got the tiered pricing like Ohio State does. So some of the tickets are 225 bucks, Some of them are 55 bucks. You average out the price. They're losing about $8 bucks on every home game when those seats go unsold. Eight million bucks on ticket sales. Eight million, eight million dollars on ticket sales. Do the math on number of home games. Then do the math on concessions for the 30,000 people who aren't in the stadium, for parking for the 30,000 people who aren't in the stadium, on FSU, you know, uh, gear for the people who aren't in the stadium, on the collective angst of donors who don't give money, whose pockets are sewn shut when your football team is terrible. And you now see why Florida State cannot afford not to fire Willie Taggart and to pay probably another $12 bucks to his staff to go away. The problem Florida State has is that there is no Urban Meyer sitting there. Well, there is an Urban Meyer sitting there. But my point is, when you're a college and you have a coaching opening, you really hope there's a guy sitting there who's a perfect fit for you and what you do and who you are. Urban Meyer at Ohio State, Ashtabula native, two national championships, been out of the game a year, tan rested and ready, perfect. Michigan, when they hired Rich Rodriguez, eh, screwed. Nobody there looming who was perfect, no Michigan guy, nobody, Harbaugh wasn't developed yet. There are those who would say still not developed. But at any rate, and then Brady Hoke, same thing. Harbaugh wouldn't leave the Niners, so they just settled on Brady Hoke. And you can go through a period of five, six years where if you don't get the right guy, and Rich Rod wasn't the right guy, and Hoke wasn't the right guy, conversely, you know, Wisconsin, Paul Christ, hey, he played at Wisconsin, perfect for Wisconsin when Gary Anderson up and left. Michigan State, Mark D'Antonio, perfect fit for Michigan State. Now it's probably running out of time there. The shelf life on Dino is probably expiring, but he's given him a good decade plus. So you need a guy sitting there who's perfect at the time you need them. And there's nobody like that for Florida State right now. Uh, the names you hear, P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck, would P.J. Fleck do a good job at Florida State? Yeah, I think he would. Uh, but is he a climber? Would he leave, you know, if he thought he could get another dollar somewhere else or do something? Yeah, yeah he would. He would. So um, this is going to get interesting. This is going to be one of those really, really interesting postseason coaching cycles. 
So now let's bring this back to Maryland. So Maryland's open, and they think they've got the guy in Mike Loxley. Oh, Mike Loxley. Oh, he's been at Maryland before. Um, you know, he was here when Randy Edsel was here. He was here when Ralph Friedgen was here. Mike Loxley, great offensive coordinator. He goes uh, to down to Alabama last year, and he's their offensive coordinator. Okay. I would, if I were hiring a head coach, consider it relevant if the guy had ever been a head coach before. I, it's just me talking. But, you know, if I'm going to hire somebody for a job, I would say, hey, by the way, have you ever done this job before? Well, yes, I have. I was a head coach at New Mexico State. How did that go? Well, uh, I was consistent. <laughs> How consistent were you, Mike Loxley? I was 1-11, and and then I was 1-11, and and then I was 0-4, and, and then I got fired. Oh, okay, so you're 2-26. and 26. Yeah. Ah. Anything else I should know, Mike Loxley, about your sterling tenure in New Mexico State? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't consider it relevant, but you might. I was... Uh, I was accused of uh, sexual discrimination, age age discrimination, sexual discrimination against a woman because she was, you know, older than my secretary. I was accused of that. She later withdrew her complaint, which, hey, you know what that means, folks? That means she got paid to withdraw her complaint. Okay, well, you can say, no, no, that's not it. She was a crazy person, and she withdrew her complaint because it didn't have merit. Well, where it is in there, we'll never know because I'm sure all the records are sealed. Anything else, Mike Loxley, that we should know about your tenure at New Mexico State? Yeah, well, um, yeah, that's just just a one thing. Oh, what one thing is that? Well, it's not really relevant. Well, let's just tell me anyway. Humor me, please. Okay. <laughs> I was suspended for a game for an altercation with one of my assistant coaches. Oh. Oh. That's the resume of Mike Loxley. <laughs> that Maryland thought, hey, that was a slam dunk. Slam dunk, Mike Loxley. And so he will bring a team in here on Saturday to play the Ohio State Buckeyes that uh, at the start of the year looked like it was a fantastic hire. They beat Howard uh, 79 to nothing. And then they beat Syracuse. And Syracuse was ranked at the time. This is why uh, preseason polls mean nothing. Syracuse was ranked 21st. And Maryland beat them 63 to 20. And I remember sitting in this very chair on this very podcast with Chris Spielman sitting next to me saying, hey, watch out, my Maryland. Well, you know, yeah, they're putting up what, 130, 130, 142 points in two games. Then they played Temple and lost. And then they played Penn State and lost 59 to nothing. Now, then they beat Rutgers, which, you know, for the purposes of proving anything, proves nothing. And they have since lost four in a row. 40 to 14 at Purdue, which can't get out of its own way and replicate its success of last season. Uh, they lost to Indiana, 34-28. They lost to Minnesota, 52-10. Chesty little boatman took no prisoners that day. And then Saturday, they gave up. Uh, the Maryland won the toss, <laughs> deferred. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to play defense on you, Michigan, because we don't believe in Shea Patterson. Well, you know, that's probably not a bad strategy, except, except you do have to tackle Michigan's kick returner to force Shea Patterson to take a snap on offense. Maryland forgot that last part. And so the Michigan kid, uh, Giles Jackson, runs it all the way back for a touchdown. So Maryland wins the toss, is down 7 to nothing, has to put its offense on the field to start the game. And they went 3 and out, and they punted to Michigan, and Michigan took it in, and now it's 14 to nothing. And that was um, how we got the 38-7 to eventually. So now they're going to play Ohio State. And uh, it's not going to be pretty. Well, it's going to be pretty for the Ohio State fans because, uh, you know, Maryland's terrible. And it's going to be an absolute walkover. So they've played, let me see here. Uh, They have played, uh, Penn State is a ranked opponent and uh, gotten beat 59 to nothing. Uh, They have played Minnesota as a ranked opponent and gotten beat 52 to 10. And they have played Michigan as a ranked opponent. Three Big Ten ranked opponents, and they have been beaten uh, 38-7, to 52-10, and 59 to nothing. Uh, now, I ask you, who's the best ranked team in the Big Ten? Yes, correct. It is Ohio State. So, I will be anxious to see what the line is on this game because I cannot fathom, I cannot fathom that the Maryland uh, Terrapins, 
yes, the Fear the Turtle Maryland Terrapins can come in here and keep this bad boy under 60 points. I just do not see how that is possible. Now, let's reflect for a moment, shall we, on how life has changed since our little encounter with uh, the Maryland Terrapins last season in College Park, Maryland. You might remember uh, 52 to 51. And the Terps uh, dropped, well, they didn't drop it because the guy threw it over the guy's head, uh, a game-winning two-point pass. Um, That game was the height of Urban bending over, grabbing his uh, knees and his head, and he looked just terrible over there. And um, now let's flash forward uh, to where we are today. Uh, We have Ryan Day coaching the Ohio State Buckeyes. They are undefeated. They are ripping Everybody, a new one. And on that fateful day in College Park, Maryland, a year ago, uh, the Maryland Terrapins scored 51 points and rushed for 339 yards and scored uh, seven touchdowns. Uh, To date this season, folks, I did the math yesterday, in five Big Ten games, that was just one at Maryland last year, in five Big Ten games, the Buckeyes, all the same guys, Tuff Borland, Pete Werner, Malik Harrison, Brandon Browning, Chase Young, Robert Landers, Devon Hamilton, all the same guys, Damon Arnett, Jeff Okuda, same guys as last year. Maryland, 51 points, seven touchdowns, 339 yards rushing. Those same Ohio State Buckeye defensive players this year have allowed in five games, five, five touchdowns. 37 Big Ten points and 533 rushing yards. Now, that is a transformation of epic proportions. That's why I said yesterday when Willie Taggart's job came open and contemplating the USC job coming open and uh, perhaps the Michigan job coming open because I still don't think Michigan is a guaranteed lock lead pipe cinch to win against Michigan State or at Indiana, that if somebody wants to hire a great College football coach, they will hire Jeff Halfley of Ohio State, the defensive coordinator. This guy's a superstar. Uh, He's charismatic. He's intense. Um, I'm extremely impressed with Ryan Day's ability to hire great coaches. And you can say, well, why why would you throw Halfley's name out there? We need him on the defense. I'm not giving away a secret other people don't know. I think I'm the only one who took note of the fact that Maryland scored seven touchdowns in this year in five games. Ohio State's given up five. No, I'm not the only one who notices that. Athletic directors notice that. Search firms notice that. Jeff Halfley's not going to be at Ohio State longer than two years, and your best interest should be for Jeff Halfley. And do you doubt Ryan Day's ability to hire great coaching staff? I don't. Look at the coaching staff he's hired on the defensive side. Look at that remade coaching staff. Greg Madison. Greg Madison's not leaving for another job right now. I mean, Greg Madison's here. He's been everywhere. He loves it here. He's a stay here. He got a bunch more money to come here. He got like four hundred grand more a year to come here. So Madison will still be here, and Ryan Day will find somebody else to fill in if Halfley leaves. He's got Al Washington Jr. Uh, they're they're really impressive. Their coaching staff is really impressive. Mike Yursich is really impressive as a quarterback coach. Ryan Day is going to hire great coaches as long as he is here, and Halfley deserves a shot. And I I I don't believe Jeff Halfley is dumb enough to take the Rutgers job, even though he's a New Jersey native, and they're going to come after him. There's rumors that Shiano, Greg Shiano, the Buckeye defense coordinator from last year is going to do a uh, Mac Brown and return to Rutgers as Mac has returned to North Carolina. Uh, Greg Schiano may do fine at Rutgers. I, I would have to ask the question, what kind of defense were you playing last year at Ohio State? What's going on with that? The same guys are killing it this year, and last year they couldn't tackle air. That's a fair question to ask Greg Schiano. Actually, that's a fair question to ask Urban Meyer. But no one will on Fox will ask it, but that's a very fair question to ask Urban Meyer, and I would find his answer to be highly uh, interesting. It'll be interesting to see now that USC has hired an athletic director on Sunday how deeply the Fox guys pursue a line of questioning with Urban about his interest, real or imagined, in the USC job. Uh, The athletic director that USC has hired is Mike Bone from Cincinnati. And as I wrote for SI.com, if you want to connect the dots, and I was careful how I phrased this, I'm not saying you should connect the dots. I'm saying if you want to connect the dots, on Urban Meyer being the next coach at USC, there are dots that you can connect that will draw a logical picture of that happening. Mike Bone, Cincinnati AD, hired Luke Fickle, 
When Mike Bone hired Luke Fickle, do you think he called Urban Meyer? Of course he did. We know this because Mike Bone tweeted his appreciation to Urban Meyer for, you know, candid assessment and good wishes expressed toward Luke Fickle. Uh, Nate Meyer plays baseball at Cincinnati. Urban was a defensive back at Cincinnati. That's where he met his wife, Shelly. Uh, so there's a lot there. Do you think Urban could recruit Southern California? I'm asking questions I know the answer to. Do you think Urban could leverage Hollywood celebrities like Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn, Snoop Dogg, stopping by USC practices? Do you think Urban could leverage that to his advantage at USC? Do you think the uh, well-heeled alumni, and by the way, the best film school in the United States, allegedly, reportedly, is the USC film school. So actors, actresses, directors, Hollywood executives, uh, who I would assume have healthy bank accounts, are USC donors and boosters. Uh, do you think Urban could leverage the financial resources at USC to his advantage as college football coaches. I think he could. And do you think that Urban could make use of the tradition at USC, which is probably the only tradition nationally that I would say, eh, maybe Notre Dame, can measure up to Ohio State's. USC, Notre Dame, and uh, Ohio State, those three. Texas close, Oklahoma close, but those three. I mean, that's the, that's, the royal, that's the royalty of college football. Could Urban leverage that? Yes, of course he could. Okay, so if you want to connect the dots, you can connect the dots. Now, what would get in the way of the dots and keep them from being connected? Well, first and foremost, it would be Urban's family. If Urban's not going to do this unless uh, Urban's family supports it. Uh, secondly, I believe there's a deeper under the radar deterrent to Urban taking the USC job. Uh, some people say, well, yeah, he's never worked with Mike Bone. Well, he's only going to work for an athletic director he trusts. Now, if USC had hired Jeremy Foley from Florida, yes, then we would get on board with Urban going to USC. Okay, yeah, it's important. I'm not going to say it's not important, but here's the deal. Here's the hard, the hard, cold truth. When Urban Meyer was hired at Ohio State, Gene Smith was not a part of the search. And please don't take that as a shot at Gene Smith or as me impugning Gene's abilities or whatever. But Gene Smith was not a part of the search at all. Various reasons. Hey, they had a coach in Luke Fickle. Look bad if Gene was out there backdooring Luke Fickle to interview coaches, right? So Ohio State had an intermediary, and they had a booster. Eh, boosters are not bad in this case. Who pursued Urban through back channels and dealt with him directly. And then when Urban agreed to take the job, he met Gene. And what's Gene going to say? No, no, I don't want him. <laughs> Gene's not dumb. Gene knows that Urban's going to win big at Ohio State. And Urban knows that there are certain things that he has to, you know, he has to play ball on. And so Urban and Gene have always spoken highly of each other. And there's no reason to believe that's not genuine. I'm just telling you that's how it was. I know that for a fact. And so to say, well, Urban's not going to USC because he doesn't know Mike Bone. Who do you really think the boss is, Urban or Gene? Really, who do you think? Uh, literally, literally, Gene was Urban's boss. Figuratively, Urban didn't have a boss. Here, at Florida, or at USC. So the whole, oh, he's never worked with Mike Bone. That's not going to keep him from taking the job if his family wants him to take, if his family's okay with him taking the job. If he wants the job, and here's the third domino that has to fall. Urban has to be convinced that he can get the support staff around him to win. Now, what do I mean by support staff? I don't mean money. I mean people he believes in to do the things that he doesn't have time to do but that he needs done. Number one, strength coach, Mickey Marotti. If he can get Mickey Marotti to go with him, well, that's a big domino to fall. If you could get Mark Pantone, his recruiting guru, the guy who's, you know, plots the board and sets the board and orchestrates everything. If he gets Marotti and Pantone, yeah. And if he gets Brian Voltolini, his uh, mysterious guy who does all the stuff that Urban needs done that Urban doesn't have time to do. Brian Voltolini's name came up during uh, last fall during the whole uh, Zach Smith text message, Big Ten kickoff luncheon fiasco. Uh, Voltolini had a conversation with Urban about the 
no need to go into it. And Volini, Voltolini has been with Urban, I know since Utah and Gainesville, maybe at Bowling Green. So those three guys, Marotti, Pantone, Voltolini, if he gets those three, they say, yeah, we're in, Urban. Well, and he wants to do it, and his family says, go for it. Then, you know, the odds go way up. Right now, I would say the odds that I would place on Urban, just the Urban part of the puzzle coming together at USC, just the Urban part. I'm not even talking about does USC want him or whatever. They have to be ridiculously stupid not to want him. But just the Urban part of the puzzle right now, I'd give no more than a 20% chance of coming together. No more than a 20% chance. But if his family says, yeah, L.A. sounds great. You're healthy. You're healthy. Go for it. Um, and Urban says, yeah, I miss it. I want to get back into it. What I could do at USC. And Pantone, Marotti, Voltolini say yes, or other guys that Urban's developed, or those three guys have developed. And Marotti tells him, no, this guy's ready. He'll do a great job for you or whatever. And Urban believes it. If that part of the puzzle comes together, then okay, yeah. Then I'd give it a 75 80% chance. But I don't think the timing is right this year uh, for Urban to go back to USC. I don't think he's going to stay out more than three years. Uh, I still would put him number one on the list at Ohio State to succeed Ryan if Ryan goes to the NFL. But what's the timetable on that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the timetable on that is. So um, we'll stand by. We'll see. We'll keep our eye on that. Uh, We always encourage you to email the show and to review the show. Your reviews on Apple help us a lot. Apple recycles these every 48 hours. So if you've reviewed it before, we still need you to review it again because it helps us in the ratings, helps us with uh, our advertisers, and lets us know what you think because we get great feedback. Show me reviews. Here's one from uh, Dublin Buckeye. He says, I'm very excited to hear Spielman and Hooley back on the air in CBUS. Always enjoyed listening to Spiel's insight on football as he breaks down the film and delivers it in a manner that fans can understand. The two of you complement each other very well on the air as your faith and friendship shines through to the viewers. Thank you very much, Dublin Buckeye. Go to us. Please review my podcast.com. Search Spielman and Hooley if you'd like a tutorial on how to review our show on iTunes. Uh, email today comes from John. He says, uh, hey, Chris and Bruce. Uh, he's talking about the Baker Mayfield stuff. He goes, uh, with the latest Baker Mayfield situation with the reporter Tony Grossi, I found this whole bit interesting because of Baker's continued lack of growth in the Department of Leadership for the Browns. Also, because I've listened and read Tony Grossi's articles on the Browns for years, I believe Tony Grossi has some pretty accurate and strong opinions. I also figured you guys know Tony personally from having worked in the Cleveland market before. You both shared a lot about what you think of Baker as a leader of the Browns in the past. Where do you both come out on this latest bit by Baker? And John writes, on a side note, I sometimes listen to 97.1 here in Columbus. Surprise, one local DJ uh, said today, Tony Grossi is an idiot reporter. He called him that multiple times. In your line of work with your current podcast, neither of you calls out other folks in such obnoxious ways, and that's appreciated. Where do you both come out on calling others' names and put-downs in your business? It doesn't seem like good. It doesn't seem like a good thing or a professional thing to do. Thanks for listening. Okay, uh, a couple of things. Uh, I'm not, uh, even on this podcast today, I made a crack about Mike Silver that I don't think Mike Silver's uh, a great reporter, and I don't think Mike Silver's a great reporter. And what I'm trying to do is to be very clear and very precise in what I say. Uh, uh, say what I mean and mean what I say. Rather than calling someone a name, just say, you know, why? Uh, this Joel Klatt uh, thing uh, that we'll get into Wednesday with Chris. Joel Klatt makes a lot of, you know, outrageous statements about Alabama's schedule and you know defending Ohio State's schedule. And Joel Clyde doesn't need to make outrageous statements about Alabama's opponent winning percentage being the worst in the nation. All he needs to do is say, you know, Alabama, you didn't play anybody. Ohio State didn't play a, a Power 5 team either. You got no beef. But don't make it sound like Alabama's played the worst schedule in the country because they haven't played the worst schedule in the country. Similarly, there's no reason for this person uh, at 97-1, I don't know who it was, calling Tony an idiot reporter because I'm sure they don't know Tony as well as I know Tony. I've worked with Tony at the Plain Dealer for 18 years. I worked with him at ESPN Cleveland for five years. Uh, Tony and I are friends, but if Tony made a mistake, I would tell you. Uh, Tony made a mistake on reporting something earlier this year about Baker Mayfield at the airport. I don't think he had that solid. Now, I haven't talked to him about it, but I, I would guess he probably re- regrets that one. But on the thing this week with Baker, Tony was not out of line at all. Tony's asking Baker Mayfield what happened on the drive at the end of the first half at New England, and Baker got salty about it, and he got mad, and he blew up, and he walked out. 
And Baker looked bad in that, not Tony. Now, look, Tony has broken stories on the Browns for years and years and years and years. There is nobody who knows that organization better than Tony, the history of the organization better than Tony. He grew up in Cleveland. He knows the history of the Browns. Uh, I think Mary Kay Cabot does a great job on the Browns. Mary Kay works very, very hard. And she and Tony worked together for years. And I'm sure, you know, they have mutual respect for each other. So uh, if I don't if I don't think a reporter does a good job, I'll tell you. Hopefully I'll tell you without name calling. Uh, and I, Baker just screwed up. It's another instance of the Browns. When I say punching down, I don't mean that Tony Grossi's inferior to Baker Mayfield. I mean that anything Baker Mayfield does or touches or engages in that's not related to prepping for a football game is punching down. Because it's something that's, if you prioritize winning, is beneath winning. So he's punching down. So Baker needs to stop doing that. The Browns need to stop doing that. Freddie Kitchens need to stop worrying about what people say about his play calling and his this and his that and just coach the team. I did think Freddie yesterday was uh, decidedly less defiant than he's been before. I don't know what that means, but it was interesting to me that he wasn't as defiant yesterday as he's been before when they've had uh, some failures. Now, a home game with Maryland affords you the opportunity to crush your tailgate party, just to crush it. How do you crush your tailgate party and win the day uh, with the best steaks and hamburgers possible? And those come from Stover Farms Custom Meats. Now, good, wholesome, healthy, non-GMO, non-hormone-laced protein. If it's good enough for Ohio Mr. Football Cade Stover, it is good enough for you. Cade Stover, a Buckeye, a linebacker, whose dad, Trevor, and mom, Chelsea, raised him on the family farm up in the Mansfield area, and they raise certified Angus beef. And it's grass-fed, grain-fed. No bad stuff in their beef. And Trevor uh, processes a side of beef every week, brings it down to their retail store, 4000 Presidential Parkway in Powell. They're open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. to like 4.35 Mention the Spielman and Hooley podcast, you get 15% off. Steaks, better get there early because, boy, they go quick. We had an emailer last week to the show. Said he bought like 20 ribeye steaks. Hmm. He's eating well. He is eating very well. Their steaks are phenomenal. Their hamburgers are phenomenal. They have poultry. They have uh, pork. All of it, non-GMO, no hormones. Great stuff. Tailgate party Saturday, Buckeyes, Maryland. Sausage from Stover Farms is spec. Spectacular. I've had it the bacon. Spectacular. Love Stover Farms. Uh, look for them online, StoverFarmsCustomMeats.com. 4,000 Presidential Parkway is just off Sawmill, and there's a light there at Presidential, so you cannot miss it. Now, uh, today, as we end the podcast, as we always do with a little faith element, yesterday was good to hear and see and meet former Buckeye Joel Penton, who came to uh, my church, Northwest Chapel, 6700 Rings Road, and Joel gave... Uh, the message in the 9.30 service and the 11 o'clock service. And he gave a great analogy that I think you as a sports fan will understand, um, explaining the essence of the gospel. Now, Chris and I talk about the gospel all the time, and one of the things that I've had placed on my heart recently is, you know, we got all kinds of listeners to the podcast, and it is inevitable that people are going to come to the podcast with different degrees of knowledge about the faith aspect of it. Some of you dialed in. Some of you would love to be dialed in. Some of you don't know much about it. You would like to know more about it. And so, like in sports, where you have to know the fundamentals before you can excel at sports, I thought it might be important just to give you the fundamentals of the gospel. So I'm just going to lay it out for you, and then I'm going to give you Joel's analogy that ties in with a great moment in Buckeye football history that I think will explain it. So, We have a holy God in the universe who's perfect, absolutely perfect, and cannot accept anything less than perfection. And you go right away, you're going, well, we're all all in trouble then because none of us are perfect. No, none of us are perfect. We lie, we lust, we have impure thoughts, we say bad things, we want something that other other people have for our own. We are (laughs) not even for one day perfect in our behavior, okay? All right, so how does God look at us and accept us as perfect? Well, that's the essence of the gospel. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth. 
And while Jesus lived on earth, he never sinned. He never lusted. He never lied. He never wanted something of someone else's. He never thought bad about other people. He, he lived a perfect life. So he was, nevertheless, uh, crucified and killed by those who were jealous of him and who didn't want him to come and introduce a new way uh, for us to gain acceptance with God. Because in the old days, people tried to live perfectly, and they'd sacrifice animals and this, that, and the other to please God. And it was never going to work. Nobody can be perfect. Nobody can achieve perfection. Our deeds will never get us to heaven. So Jesus came and he said, I'll live the perfect life, and then uh, you can accept what I did and claim it as your own. Claim it as your own. It'll count, much like like if you had a buddy who owned a restaurant, and they took you to the restaurant, and they walk you up to the cash register. Let's say it's a cafeteria, and they walk in, and they look at the cash register. They look at the cashier, rather, and, the ca- and, she, and he says to the cashier, your buddy who owns the restaurant says to the cashier, he's with me. He's with me. What does that mean? Well, you could just walk right through, right? You could just walk right through and get whatever you want from the cafeteria, and you eat, and you eat free. Now, you didn't pay. You didn't do anything to earn that. You just, you're just a buddy of the, of the guy who owns the place. That's what it's like with Jesus. He was perfect. God accepts his perfect life as atonement, payment, sacrifice for you. So you're, you're good. Once you accept that, you're good. Now, you know, we can talk later about obedience and why you, must, why you should obey, why you must obey, what you get out of it, and why God requires it and all that. But you don't, your perfection, your efforts to be perfect don't get you anything. It can't. You, you screwed up with other mistakes everywhere else. Okay, so what's the book, Buckeye football analogy? So Joel Penton is trying to get people everywhere to understand this, this uh, transaction between Jesus' perfection and giving it to you, and then you being perfect in God's sight because of what Jesus did. So Joel told the story. You know the story. Holy Buckeye, the Michael Jenkins touchdown catch at Purdue. Right? Fourth down, national championship, hopes hanging in the balance, into the wind. Krenzel comes out, fourth and one. We've got to get the first down. Got to get the first down. Krenzel goes back, and he throws the ball, and the ball's in the air, and all of our hopes are hanging on what's going to happen, what's going to happen. Are you going to catch that? And Joel made a great point. He said, while the ball's in the air, we're all sitting there going, are we going to win? Are we going to win? Or are we going to lose? Now, we is not really the applicable pronoun in that case. It's you sitting on your couch in Gehanna or Obetz or Hilliard or Dublin or UA, you can't do anything with that ball in the air. Yet, you're going, are we going to win? We. You're part of it, right? Who's really doing the work? Well, once that ball left Krenzel's hand, it's all on Mike Jenkins. Mike Jenkins. You catch it or you don't. If Mike Jenkins catches the ball, we win. We win. Yay. Why? Because Michael Jenkins did his job. And you get to celebrate and benefit from Michael Jenkins doing his job. And that's how it works with Jesus. He did his job, came to earth, lived a sinless life. And You can accept that. and You can be perfect in God's sight and be accepted. That's the gospel. Joel Penton did a great job yesterday equating that. He does great work uh, bringing uh, the truth of the gospel to um, high school kids, middle school kids, all over the country. And so I'd invite you to go to Joel's website, joelpenton.com, read more about what Joel is doing. Um, we, meaning uh, Chris and I, will be back on a Wednesday uh, when we will have um, quite a bit more to discuss with uh, the Buckeyes getting ready to take on Maryland and with the college football playoff rankings being out. I'm sure there'll be uh, <laughs> more adventure with the Browns because there's always adventure with the Browns. And uh, perhaps then we'll have crystallized the market for Andy Dalton in the offseason as Andy Dalton says he would like to be traded. Anybody would want to be traded out of Cincinnati. I, I put a Twitter poll up yesterday. If you're Chase Young, if you're Tua Tagovailoa, 
Would you come out in the draft if you know the Bengals are going to have the number one pick? Would you go back to school and risk injury? Or would you sit out, not play next year, so you don't get hurt, but you don't have to play for the Cincinnati Bengals, theoretically. So we'll uh, have your uh, results to that Twitter poll and more on the Wednesday edition of Spielman Hooley We Tackle Life Podcast. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, a savior, he's a present shaking savior. If you got chains, oh, he's a chain breaker. If you believe it, if you receive.